Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who've done the same. Today, I get to talk all things swimming with Commonwealth gold medalist and Olympic athlete, Ross Murdoch. Ross, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me on. Pleasure. <laughs> it's so nice to hear another Scottish accent. Like my listeners are slowly going to hear my accent come back. I think the more and more that we talk as it rubs off on me. Just getting a little bit more west as the as the sort of hour comes on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, unfortunately, there's no subtitles. I have a lot of American listeners, so <laughs> you guys are going to have to listen closely, I think. Um, so yeah, Ross, you've had a a great swimming career. Um, you know, Ross didn't remember me because we swam with so many people, but we did actually mm. swim together for like a couple of weeks. Um, we both had the same swimming coach, Jimmy Orr, because he will kill mm -hmm. both of us if we don't at least mention him once sure. in this podcast. Um, so, Ross, you your whole kind of swimming career started, you were swimming in Balloch, that's where you're from. Um, mm -hmm. Where did it all begin? So it all began at the Vela Leaving Swimming Pool. I think I was four years old when I first went down to swimming lessons. I think I've probably been to the pool before that, but nothing structured. Um, but I went to swimming lessons at four and pretty quickly I got chucked out. Um, as a kid with pretty much like ADHD, I was not one for listening, under the water, blowing bubbles, not interested and generally probably quite disruptive. Oh no. <laughs> so I was one of those kids that just like had, had ants in my pants. I, could, I couldn't sit still. So they, they were like, they didn't kick me out, but they were politely like, you know, we think Ross could maybe benefit from a couple of years let them grow up a little bit and then we'll we'll take them back again. So I think I went back about six. And um, from there, I had a pretty slow start. I was enjoying swimming and stuff. Got to seven and I broke my arm. And that was a real like big first turning point in, in my journey for swimming is when I broke my arm. I'd, uh, my brother was in swimming and I had to sit and watch the swimming lessons because they weren't going to leave me at home. I was only seven years old. So I was down at the I was down at the swimming lessons and, and in the big pool at the you time. You can't go into the water with a stooky. Oh, not with a stooky, never. Yeah. Well, um, for all my American so, listeners, Scottish for <laughs> cast is stooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had the big L-shaped one that went right from my bicep all the way down to my hand. Um but I so but the the there was a bunch of swimmers in the big pool at the time and they had all five lanes. Cause it was only a five lane 25 meter pool we had and uh i was i was watching these guys swimming up and down and it was guys who I eventually went on to train with like so roy cameron graham lyons mark mckenzie lots rory lamont like there was lots of these guys they were all in training away and i was sat there on my stookie and i was like that has to be me i have to do that that looks so good so is that as soon as i got time, is off, that the first time that you really felt like that desire that competitive urge to be like okay I don't want to be at the sidelines anymore I want to I want to be in it yeah because it wasn't it wasn't even like it was a a competitive thing I didn't I didn't really know that you could compete in swimming at the time like like I'm trying to remember what year it was um I'm normally quite good with the years but you know this is probably what 2000 
in one, two thousand and two, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I don't really know that I could compete. My earliest memories of swimming is the two thousand and six Melbourne Commonwealth Games. Like I remember brief bits from Athens. <laughs> That's but, like, like that is a big gap, Ross, <laughs> going from like, there's, swimming there's lessons to Commonwealth Games. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's kind of like my first um, like memories of competitive swimming and thinking you could really compete at it, and it was mm. it was wasn't just something your parents made you do. Mm. Like you had a choice and you could do it. Um, but you know when I watched those guys training up and down in the big pool the first time, I was like, it was social. It looked like fun. Everybody was friends, and I was like, you know, I love being in the water. I love chatting to people this is what that's what I want to do I want to go and do whatever that is because I don't want to be in this little pool anymore I want to be in the big pool and uh you know pretty much from there I got part of the way through the swimming lessons and Scott Oliver who was my swimming teacher at the time he's still there I think him he was like you know you're really motivated at this swimming and we think that you're going to make it through all the lessons but there's no point in seeing it through to the end of the swimming program just go and trial for the club. And he sent me off to the club and that was it. Come started competing at eight years old and I'm 28 now. So it's yeah. been a, a long old career. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Like a full two decades there. Um, yeah. You know, swimming is definitely a sport. It takes a lot of sacrifice. You know, you get into mm. the club and then it definitely progresses. You add on, you know, more sets, more hours, time in the gym, competitions at the weekend. Did you thrive on that? Because you said, you know, you were someone who had ants in your pants, so you really liked to keep mm-hmm. active and keep busy. Do you think that that helped you out, you know, going through high school and everything to give you something to focus on? Sure. Um, and if I'm honest, I didn't have the traditional background in swimming. Like my age group swimming career wasn't one of particular note. Um, you know, I didn't really do that much training. I think at one point I would train five times a week, but that quite quickly dropped back to three or four times a week. I wasn't really interested um, for the most part. So I would, I would wow. do very, very little. Um, and for anyone, for anyone listening, like that's, yeah. that's unheard of. Like for someone who's gone mm-hmm. on to, to win at Commonwealth Games and become an Olympic athlete, you know, swimmers train, you know, upwards of 10, maybe 12 times a week in the pool. That's yeah. kind of the standard twice a day. So yeah how how did yeah. you go about so, going from three times a week to so I think right up until my sixth year at school so I finished school in 2011 um, and that year I would, I'd made a 50 breaststroke time long course to get on program for Scottish swimming so it was like you get a little bit of institute support so I'd made a 50 breast um, and I was really really chuffed with myself and I had this goal of going to the Commonwealth Games um, and I always said to to Jimmy and my dad I was like you know I really want to go to this Commonwealth Games for 50 breaststroke um how do we do it like what can I do and they were like well for starters you're gonna to need to train a bit more and I was like you know when when I finish school I'll take this seriously when I finish school I'll and I'm going to college I'll I'll train eight times a week that's that's the most amount of sessions I can fit in at Western Bartonshire okay I'll do eight I'll do eight and I've got two gym sessions with the institute and I'll do one with the club so pretty much and it was the 22nd of August 2011 uh that was a Monday I think it was it could be the 23rd but I think it was the 22nd but 
that was the day that I, I turned the switch. I flicked the switch and was like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this seriously and I'm gonna try and qualify for this Commonwealth Games in the fifty breast with everything in my power to make it. Um, I think that's incredible. You know, there's and, so many people out there that worry about not starting young enough. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's this big mentality of, oh, if you don't start when you're like six or seven, and this goes for any, you know, elite sport, a lot of people are kind of counted out. And even though you had been doing it, like you said, you hadn't really mm-hmm. been taking it seriously until you graduated mm-hmm. from high school. Um, I think that's a really powerful message for people saying, you know, it's never too late. As long as, as, long as you have yeah. that moment where you start taking it seriously, you still can achieve yeah. um, great things. So you were aiming for the 2014 Commonwealth in Glasgow, sure. which was a home Commonwealth. Yeah. Um, what was that process like going from, you know, it being a hobby to now, okay, actually I have a goal in mind. How did that change your attitude towards the sport? Um, it, it changed it changed my attitude quite quite a lot um, at the time. I remember that sort of almost flicking that switch and being told, you know, 12 weeks, 12 weeks is what it's going to take for you to adapt to this work and feel like it's normal. And I remember counting every single day, every single week and counting it down and getting to 12 weeks and being like, oh my goodness, this is not getting any easier. This is just getting harder. And it was really difficult. Um, Was that physically, physically, mentally, both? um, Mentally, I loved it. Like mentally, it was, it was easy for me because I just loved turning up and I loved swimming and I like working hard, but physically it was, it was hard. It was really hard working. Um, you know, I was on a, a limited contract with the Institute and uh, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not bad mouthing the Institute at all here. Yeah, this is the Scottish Sport Scotland Institute of Sport. Um, so I was on a limited contract with them just purely because I didn't qualify for them in an Olympic event. I was in a non-Olympic event and it was kind of like, you know, there's a Commonwealth Games coming up and the 50 breasts is there, so we'll let them on type thing, but we don't know where where it's going to go and it was a one-off swim type thing so we'll wait and see but I didn't really have much support so I could I could access the physio but it was far away I couldn't drive I had to pre-book it like I couldn't just turn up to the sessions mm-hmm. um so it was it was quite difficult so when I was going through some real physical changes and I needed some phys- physio support um I didn't really have that at the time so there was a lot of self-management stuff going on and when I was first learning how to you know foam roll and look after my shoulder health and do my prehab stuff and you know like when I was first learning how to do all that I would be quite lazy and think ah, I'm a swimmer I just need to swim but you know there's a lot more that goes into it so it's, it has to be a quite a quick change in mindset and you know I was there's only been a couple of times in my life where I think there's been divine intervention of some sort where the stars have just completely aligned for me um, because I remember qualifying getting the qualifying time for the Olympic trials and for the, they were in March 2012. I got the qualifying time in January 2012. It was the day after my 18th birthday and anybody in the UK will know that 18 is the legal drinking age. Yeah, um, like how hungover were you? <laughs> Did oh, you drink? There's like Tom Dean, right? Tom Dean, um, newly crowned Olympic champion, the 200 free. His girlfriend was there that day and her family still tell the story about how I was lying on the poolside knackered (laughs) (laughs) was this before or after the swim or both oh before the swim (laughs) this is before the swim this is absolutely 100% not advisable um I think I went 
I think I went 2.21, I think. Um, so about 2.21 I went and that qualified me. I think I was 52nd at the meet or something like that. I was one of I the last believe, entries that would get in. I cannot believe you qualified for the Olympics hungover the day after your 18th birthday. Oh, Olympic trials. I qualified for the Olympic trials. For the Olympic trials. Um, yeah, yeah, still, still. And, uh, yeah, so what, I, I made What that is and, that? You know, I, I wasn't even going to swim it either. Um, and that's that's one of those times where I was like, you know, something just worked for me there. Flash forward a couple months, um, I got disqualified in the 100 breaststroke at the trials, and that was the one I was aiming for European juniors in. And I made the time. I made the time. I think I went 62-1. It was a big PB, about two and a bit seconds, three seconds, something like that it was. Big PB, qualified, but I got disqualified. And I was like, absolutely devastated. What did you get disqualified on? <laughs> freestyle kick no of all things you can get the, of all things you can get disqualified for on breaststroke right so never, i was expecting false a, start hands not touching no, at no, the same no. time <laughs> freestyle so this, kick. this is a weird one right so here's the story i dove in but i never dove off a wedge block before so i put the ah. wedge on five because i had no idea what i was doing and <laughs> i ended up going so deep i was like mega deep underwater at this time and I'd done my pull out and when you've been swimming for a long time you build up a feel of where you are in the water and I knew I was still about a metre down because this is a three metre deep pool and I was deep <laughs> I was scuba like, diving tiles at the so, face <laughs> <laughs> I was like how deep is this pool where am I so I'd done this and I was like I'm still about a metre down I need to just glide this out and I started to twist and my body started twisting on its side and I think what I'd done at the time subconsciously is I'd moved my feet. So I'd moved them like not simultaneously, like in a breaststroke action, which is the only legal movement in breaststroke. Yeah. So I'd moved them like asimultaneously or whatever. And uh, they, were, they were like disqualified freestyle kick. So that was it, um, disqualified. And, you know, I was absolutely devastated. And the qualifying time for the European juniors that year was 2.16. Um, and my best was 2.21 from the, the January. And, yeah. you know, it was, I was like, I've got no idea if I can make this. Um, and me and Jimmy were walking away from the pool and, you know, we had a couple of conversations with coaches and staff that were about. They were like, oh, that's a big shame there. That's a big shame. Uh, you know, it was a really good time. We'd, we'd love to have seen you go in that. Um, and Jimmy turned around and went, Ah, he's going to qualify in the 200 in a couple of days. And they were like, hi, good one. He's a 50 breast boy that can do 100, that can, can turn. And, oh, uh, so at this point, people were really like, Ross is a sprinter. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. I was Ross as a sprinter. Okay. I, was, I, was stood there like, I was stood there like, I'm not going to European Juniors. Like, that is, that is it over. I'm done with it. Like, I can't go. And uh, Jimmy turned around to them and was like, he's going to qualify. And they were like, oh, really? It's 216. And Jimmy says, he's going to go 2.14, just you watch. And That's, the time, that's I was just like, classic Jimmy. Like At the time, I was just like, you know, oh, cheers for having my back, mate. Like, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having my back. Oh, no, like, he really expected you, know. you to do that. <laughs> and I did. And that's the honest truth. The next couple of days, I went away. So I was staying with my, my aunt and uncle out in Kent. So we were miles away. And I literally threw about 500 darts at a dartboard one day because I was just 
in bits. I, I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't sit still. I was gutted. My tricep was wrecked. And Jimmy called me and goes, right, get your butt to the pool. Get some laps in. Keep the feel. Keep the heat. We're going to go for this. We're going to have a crack right in the heats. We're making it in the heats. And I was like, cool. You know what, Jimmy? I'll do it. I'll, I will die for this. I will go <laughs> out. I will get out after this. Now, I went 62-1. And in the, in the individual and got disqualified. I think I went sixty-two six on the front end of my two hundred best, oh and came goodness. home in a body bag, one twelve back. But I went two fourteen and qualified in the heats. And then I made the semi-final. Went on at the semi-final. Went a slightly, slightly slower. I think by point one, slightly slower. Came back the next again night for the final and went two thirteen six. <gasps> and Oh my goodness. And it was an eight and a half second best time. And that's a lot. It, the stars just completely aligned for me there. And I have got no idea how it happened. And there was a point to this whole story because you talked about how quickly did your mindset have to change. Yeah. So started training hard in August. I did a decent time in December, short course, the 50 breast, qualified for Olympic trials, made the Olympic trials final. Did and that was the one that was the day after your 18th birthday. Yeah, so so yeah. I qualified for the trials the day after my 18th birthday. Yeah. At the trials in March, I made the time for European Juniors and the 200 breast. And I went from being like 52nd in Britain to 7th. I finished 7th in that final. And I was like, oh God, like what have I done? I have I arrived. A, <laughs> I think I'm a 200 breaststroker now. <laughs> and uh, I just remember turning around, looking at the board, looking at, at Jimmy and the rest of the, the like Scotch corner, we call it. There was just a small contingent of Scottish people all in this one little box. I just remember turning around and looking, and everybody's been like, "What on earth? Yeah, and, what uh, has just happened? Know, what is like? What's he done? Like he just got after that, like proper, just got after it because like Michael Jameson and Andrew Willis and Chris Gilchrist yeah. as well. Like they were all trying to qualify for the Olympics, and you know they were all out sixty-one highs or sixty-one something, and. You know, I wasn't that far behind him at the time. I was no. like, I was right up there, and everybody's yeah. like, "Who is this guy? What is he doing?" <laughs> and uh, and you know that that naivety of just getting after it. Um, you know that summed up that summed up my career. Just trying to get after it. Um, and, and you definitely you know, did was... because you you ended up making you know the Commonwealth Games, going to the Commonwealth yeah. Games. What you had, you know, at this point, you flipped the switch. You said, you know what, I'm going to go for it, yeah. and you ended up there what was it like because the 2014 commonwealth games was in glasgow so it's a home mm. commonwealth game so the atmosphere you know i was in the city at the time it must have been mm -hmm. incredible competing in that pool in front of a home crowd it was absolutely electric um it's i always knew from the get like after after that night it was the 24th of july 2014 my granddad's 70th birthday i always knew at that point, I, I don't think I could ever talk this. doesn't matter what I do for the rest of my It doesn't matter if I was to win an Olympic medal. Like, an Olympic medal would be an amazing feat and something that I always wished I could do. Um, but I just don't think anything could ever have topped it. All my family were there. I finished first in the world that season. It was, like, it was unbelievable. Now, I remember being sat, we were here. Like, I'm on campus at University of Stirling right now. And we were here. We're in the McRobert Theatre and we were, Team Scotland were sort of chatting away to us and they were like, oh, we've got a specially 
recorded version of Flower of Scotland for <laughs> anybody who wins. And wow. I remember I was being sat there and listening to it and being like, wow, imagine you won and you got to listen to that. It'd be amazing. I hope yeah. somebody wins. So, I so for anyone it. anyone not understanding, um, Flower of Scotland is the Scottish national anthem, not the British national anthem, because in the Commonwealth Games, you will compete as Team Scotland or Team Wales, Team England, mm. Team Ireland, etc. So if you're a proud Scot as well, mm. hearing Flower of Scotland when you win is also kind of on a it's on a different emotional level um, oh it's a it's a different league and you know I, I'll, I'll go to rugby games and I tear up listening to it and singing <laughs> it like there's 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 nothing better than thinking about it right now brings tears to my eyes it's proper patriotic it's a <laughs> oh you, you just cannot beat it you just can't beat it for me I, I just I, I, it's amazing and uh I remember listening to that song there and just going ah oh, it'd be amazing if somebody'd won like and kind of tearing up there and being like wow that's really really inspiring this was probably about I don't know May May time June so a good something few like that 2014 before. so yeah. and we were getting we were sizing up for our kit and stuff like that and um, you know that really inspired me for the next few months and that the, the thought of that the thought of being Scottish and all that because so, you don't get to compete for Scotland outside of a Commonwealth Games you only nope. get to compete as GB so um, and not that that's anything to be sniffed at. Competing for GB is an absolute honour and a privilege. Yeah. Privilege, it's honour. It's a massive, massive achievement. Um, but there was just something about making a Scotland team that you know that was that was my childhood dream. Yeah, my childhood dream was to to make the Scotland team. Well, you did that um, and more. Did. <laughs> you did it and more. You made the Scotland team. You competed in a Commonwealth. You made the final and you got the gold medal in the two hundred breast. Um, what was what was that swim like? Like, do you remember what you were feeling when you were in the water? Maybe like, or was it all a blur? Yeah, it's there's bits of it that are that are a blur, um, and a lot of it will probably be looked at through rose tinted glasses a bit. Of course. Um, so I remember beforehand, like at the, at the trials, I'd I'd kind of mispaced my race, um, and I finished with too much energy left. And I had gone two nine one five, I think it was. I went, and my coach at the time, Ben Ben Higson, he says, "I think you can win this this year." And I was like, "Oh, really?" And it was another one of those moments where it was kind of like Jimmy turning around and being like, "He's gonna, he's gonna do this," and I'm mm-hmm. being like, "Am I?" Just having and complete. Ben things. was like, "Yeah," and Ben was like, "You're gonna do this." you need to believe you're not a 100 breaststroker because at this point I still think I'm a 100 swimmer because <laughs> um, I, I won the British Championships that year in the 100 breast and I was a 100th off the British record at the time um, and Ben was like you know you're not a 100 breaststroker you're a 200 breaststroker you can do this um, and every time he said it to me I was a wee bit like I don't know if I really can um, but you know I'll I definitely think I can come away with some hardware I definitely think I can can get in on the medals I think I can get up there with them in the 100 and the 200 and the 50 I was mm-hmm. totally faithful that I could get one in the 50 as well um and I was like you know I can I can make that um and just over the, the next few months just everything just seemed to go right it just totally went right training wise gym wise racing wise everything was just sort of clicking there was only a few few races that I did I think I went to the Marion Ostrom series in the 2014 and you know, no I think I went 
two fourteen or something like that, and Ben would be able to tell you. I think I threw my toys out the pram. I was a bit upset. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm never somebody doing the breaststroke again. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, there was a it, it was it was amazing, and the whole build up to Glasgow was was insane. Um, there was so much media attention, and yeah. you know, this is stuff that I'd never experienced before in my life. Um, um, on the build up, I was doing interviews. I was all over the place. I was going out to meet people for coffees, like chatting about those sponsorships and anything like that. It was crazy. Like I never had many sponsors in my entire career, so I'm very grateful for the few that I have had. Um, you know, but it was like there was just these things that were happening that just made you realise like this is such a big thing for us. Um, yeah. I think the Commonwealth Games might not be as big in some other Commonwealth nations, but certainly for Scotland, it's it's an absolute massive massive thing. So. Um, and I think yeah, also, was, you know, the, ad, the added pressure, yeah, the added pressure of it being a Commonwealth Games in Scotland, you, like we were hosting it. Um, yeah. But, you know, you did incredibly well. You did come away with gold. Uh, but one thing yeah. I do want to touch on, you've mentioned, you know, some of your teammates already. Yeah. You know, so in that race, you were racing against one of your teammates. You were racing against, was it Michael? Michael Jameson I was racing against, against two actually so I okay. raced against Michael Jameson and Callum Tate yeah um, Callum Tate who I who I'd known since I was about 10 years old you know we're both 20 at this point in time um yeah. you know I'd known this guy for for years and years and years we'd been up grew up racing each other in the West District um yeah and, and Michael was there as well um but yeah, oh, you were asking about the race what I remember from the race oh um, yeah and I got Let's distracted <laughs> but, um, yeah but I got distracted but the race was one of those ones. I remember the heat, and the heat is probably the easiest swim I've ever done in my life. I remember finishing the last 25 metres going, I've got way too much in the tank. I'm not going to make this back. God knows what's happening to the guys who are behind me. Um, and I'd gone to weight seven and broke the, the championship record. I was like, eh? And then immediately I had to just put the face back on and be like, you've got this. That was yeah, easy. I, mean, I took not- 16 strokes on the last lap, and I was like, oh that was it was easy you know you, you find it's it's one of these strange things you know I think probably most athletes have it you know some swims are horrific and they feel awful and it feels like mm. you're swimming through mud and then some swims are yeah. like normal like they feel good until like the last 50 where yeah. you know everything is burning and then you have some swims where you're like that felt so good like yeah I'm out of breath and yeah yeah, yeah like I, I I did like I swam hard but I feel good yeah um yeah what was it like competing against your teammates though because the swimming's a very strange sport in that aspect you know it's a very singular yeah. individual you know sport for the most part you're competing against everyone and also against yourself but yeah what what was it like to have to compete against people that you've known for so long um it was it felt like business is is normal to be honest, um, like, you know, these are guys I grew up competing against and, you know, someone like Michael was someone who really inspired me. It was like a hero of mine. Um, so it was like, it was, it was kind of people I've raced all the time. And if we look back at that Commonwealth Games final, it was pretty much a glorified British final. There was seven yeah. Brits in the final and Christian Springer in the end lane who took it out like an absolute champ, I should add. Um, he went. He he got after that race. Um, luckily, I couldn't see him. Otherwise, I maybe got spooked. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
you know, I had I had a race plan in my head. Ben had been talking to me about it for months. It was like easy fifty. Build the next one. Build the next one. Make sure you're within touching distance of Michael at the hundred and fifty. And give it everything you've got. Swim with your heart. And like that's exactly what I did. And you know, I, I think I was maybe eighth, seventh or eighth at the first fifty ton. Um maybe like fifth, fourth or fifth at the hundred, first at the one fifty, first at the two hundred. That was the the race plan was just it was so simple. It wasn't about times, it wasn't about rates. We just literally counted our strokes, made sure I stayed within the race, and then used used my my strength really, which was my stroke length and my my power, um, at the time, to get through that last fifty meters, um, and you know it was it was business as usual, racing my teammates, racing my friends, um, I mean, and that's one of the, of the things sport. you have to do, absolutely, like you know that it was all guys that I've spent years with, like James Wilby was in that final. Adam Peaty was in that final, Andrew Willis was there, Rob Holderness, like all of these guys I'd been racing for the last two years, three yeah. years. Um, but there are so I've known also, them for a long time. Yeah, there are also nice moments in swimming where you get to, you know, yeah. compete as a team. You know, you do really races. The following yeah. year in 2015, you did win gold. Was it at World Champs? Uh, for yeah, the so I, I, swam, I swam the heats um, for the relay out there and I've done quite a few relays in my time, and, and relays are, are really special. Um, you know, the Com- Commonwealth Games 2014, I did the relay final there as well. Um, and in the 2018 Commonwealth Games, there's a, one of my favourite pictures that's ever been taken was me and the, and the relay team there. We were all, it's a tradition for the Commonwealth Games relay to put your kilt on because the last session, it's the last race of the entire games. So everybody's in their kilts in the stands, and everybody's got a kilt on up for the races. That. and. It was it was absolutely amazing. I like you, you can't you, I couldn't beat it. I couldn't beat it. Um, there's like those moments where you're with your teammates, you're with your friends. You you can't beat it. Um, yeah. that's all. It's one thing that a lot of older swimmers, when I was growing up, would always say. It's not about the destination. It's all about the journey. It's all mm. about who you did it with. And you know, as a a young naive kid with a lot of fire and. Um, you know, you kind of just go. Ah, it's about getting the t-shirt and getting out there and putting your neck on the line and and everything. But you know, the more you look back at it, you go, I really enjoyed all of that because mm-hmm. of who I was with and what I was doing, like where I was. Like, it's it's surreal to think that you know there was a, you know, I've travelled the world doing this, and I've I've travelled the world with some of my my best friends. It's, yeah. Uh, so yeah, one of the places it's, it's, that you travel to, it's a really to, quite emotional thing. Yeah, where's the places? No, no, no. You've you've traveled to a lot of places, and one of those places was yeah. Rio in 2016. Yeah. So your first Olympics. So yeah. what what was it like? You know, obviously you've spoken about how incredibly special the Commonwealth was. What was it like taking that kind of final step and being like, I am now an Olympic athlete, and I am here? Did it feel like a very different world, or did it just feel like a natural progression? Um, I've tried to explain this a few times and I don't know if it ever comes across right but like I, I wouldn't it, it felt like it was just a natural thing and see when, see when you see the people you surround yourself with like what, that's your normality and you know I was surrounded by people who had 
won medals at Olympics, people who had been to Olympic Games, people who had been to three Olympic Games. So going to an Olympic Games to me wasn't like, it wasn't one of those things that was built up. It was like, I actually know people that have gone and I knew a couple of people that had gone at 15. And it's like, you know, like, so for me, it was kind of like the, the Olympics wasn't this huge, huge deal. Like that if you'd been, or if you'd got a medal, because I knew these guys, I was friends with yeah. these people. Like, obviously, it is a massive deal. It's, it is a huge thing. And, you know, I can only wish that I'd got an, an Olympic medal. But, you know, this was a... I was surrounded by these people, and that was kind of the normality of it. So it felt like it was a natural progression. And at the time, in 2016, you know, my mentality was, like, I'm owed this. Like, the universe owes me this. Like, I will do anything, anything to be on that team. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why I'm I'm due this. It was it wasn't it was like it was, I wouldn't say it was arrogance, but there was just like just you know, a determination I'm going to be on this team. Oh, I was absolutely fully determined. There was no doubt in my mind that I was making that team. Um, I thought I would make it in a different event, right enough. But <laughs> you know that's a, that's another story. Yeah. Um, so you went but, yeah, to, going the... to the Olympics was a was a slightly underwhelming experience, to be honest. Um it's 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 very bizarre like I know in America that just going to the Olympic swimming trials is you know the highlight of some people's career and those trials are super super competitive um to uh, to even just go so it's a massive massive thing to go but so I don't want to step on anybody's toes here but for me going to the Olympics it felt quite underwhelming it just felt like another competition to me um and you know I did underperform so maybe that contributed to that feeling um, but you know, it, it did feel like it was just a natural thing. Like I was, I was supposed to be there, um, and and stuff. You know. Well, talking about um, being slightly underwhelmed, your second Olympics was definitely mm. very different to the first, or really any Olympics that has come before it, because you participated in the COVID Olympics. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the Olympic Games that was supposed to be in Tokyo in 2020 got postponed to 2021. But, you know, for athletes who are spending four years of their life training, mm. you know, for that one, like those few weeks of their life, what was that like mentally when you started finding out like, oh, actually it's not going to go ahead and then preparing to train for a whole other year and then go mm. in 2021? What was the run up to that like mentally? Um, like I remember the day that we got the call. It was a Sunday night. They were like, "Look, don't turn up to the pool in the morning. It's the pools are shut. The uni would let you in, but it goes above the uni's head. This is going. This is going the whole way. He's kind of come in. Oh God. So because that's another anyways, thing. We you know, like, swimmers swimmers really suffered because you know if you were a runner mm, or something else, you could you could do that outside. You could still train. Sure. You know, but swimmers. And I tell you what. The weather here was outstanding during lockdown. <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. You couldn't have asked for a better spring and summer. I think pretty much the day, the Monday morning, after we got told that we couldn't come in, I went out a 6K run, and it was absolutely stunning outside. And I can't remember it raining from the end of March. This is like maybe about the 25th of March, all the way through to like, you know, September. Yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> I just don't, I just, I just I don't, do don't remember you. it raining. <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, it was absolute standing so yeah you know there was we couldn't get out swimming once we were able to travel around a little bit we could go and swim open water and, 
you know, I did a bit of open water swimming and stuff to try and keep my hand in at it. I don't think it really helped me, to be in honest. In a wetsuit? We ended up having... In a wetsuit, yeah. It was hard. <laughs> wrecks your shoulders. Oh, my goodness. It's a lot harder than you'd expect. Yeah, tell um, me about it. Yeah, wetsuits, uh, you're yeah. super buoyant. All your balance is off. If you're also swimming in salt yeah. water, you've got that added buoyancy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but wild swimming in Scotland, that's Baltic. It's freezing. Telling you, the weather was outstanding. That water was got to be about twenty degrees. Got Where were you be. swimming? It was like a jacuzzi, Loch Benica, no. in Calendar. Uh, okay, it was so you... absolutely outstanding. Outstanding. Um, maybe I don't. I do though. not agree that it was like a jacuzzi, but it maybe was a couple of degrees <laughs> above freezing. Yeah. Um, there was the if it had rained the night before, you were going for a swim. You were miserable. I, I yeah. won't tell a lie there. You were miserable. There was one day I took a. I took Duncan out. I was like, Duncan, do you want to come for a swim, mate? We'll, we'll meet up at Loch Venica. And he goes, yeah, I've got a wetsuit. I'm like, cool, you'll need it. Anyways, we turned <laughs> up and <laughs> you only have seen this. We swam, we swam out about 400 metres and then swam 1,000 metres across the other shore. Um, and uh, we, we made this time, we made it rapid because we were swimming our backs to the wind so we had like wind assistance in the way mm-hmm. down we didn't realize we were like absolutely flying down like oh my god I'm on the way so back, fast. <laughs> oh on the way back we had the biggest chop i've ever seen there and you pretty much had to swim with straight arms to get your hands out the water otherwise your elbows would be under the water and he was like that at the end of it he was like i am never ever <laughs> coming back here with you again <laughs> the, the day before that it was like it was kind of stormy the day before it had rained and stuff um this was so i do i do tell i it did rain at some point but through the lockdown but uh so that was quite cold that was a miserable one i laughed the whole way to be honest <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely you know a different kind of training process compared yeah, to what definitely. anyone has ever experienced before so what was what was it like going to tokyo 2020 which was obviously 2021 Mm -hmm. what was it like kind of having to get back in you know because for swimmers as well and for a lot of athletes it was probably a welcome novelty to be like you know what I'm gonna go and do some wild swimming I'm gonna go focus Mm -hmm. on like my cardio stuff I'm gonna do some runs maybe some cycling etc kind of focusing in on all right now pools are open again I'm getting back in the pool and I'm really starting to focus on this Olympics what was it like to again have to flip that switch and really get focused um, it was quite hard at first, so we got back in, we were allowed back in the water end of June time, and it was pretty much straight through from June 2020 all the way through. There was little bits of breaks here and there, like we had to take breaks, but it was pretty much straight through from June 2020 all the way through. I pretty much trained right up until December, just gone past for the ISL and stuff. Um, so it was a long time that we were in, like a long 18 months um, of just pretty much hacking, being switched on, um, getting through the work. Um, and what so was the Olympics like? Back on. Um, what the was Olympics like? Was, it, was, it was good. Like, there was no spectators, but it felt, it felt like an Olympic Games. It felt exactly the same okay. as it did in Rio to me. And it was just, there was just masks. And that was really it. You know, there's, there's something really special about being stood in the village. And it was an absolutely stunning village. It was amazing. Um, and there's something about being stood in the village with the Olympic badge in your chest. And everybody around you, regardless if they're coaches, support staff, management or athletes, we're all stood there, all at the top of our game, 
and you know just just being there there's just like it's just such a special place to be stood and that's really what I appreciated about Tokyo because again I didn't swim the way that I wanted to swim um you know I'd swam better at the European Championships earlier in the year so but away from the, the the actual swim like just being there was amazing it was a great feeling uh and one that one that I cherish. I had a I had a, a great apartment as well. So, you know, it was again, it was all about who you were spending it with. Um, yeah. is really the way that I that I, I look at it. And um, how comfortable were the cardboard beds? Oh, the cardboard beds. Well, actually, they were a lot harder than what I thought. Lots of people believed they were solid. Um, they weren't. They weren't moving anywhere. Um, <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny if a couple of them got absolutely trashed in the last night or not. But, <laughs> but um, uh, something I think we all know, noticed. They were, they were solid. Yeah, something I think we all noticed, you know, especially with this last Olympics, you know, Tokyo and now currently the Winter Olympics, social media mm-hmm. is playing a much more prevalent role. Even the athletes themselves, you know, there's a lot of athletes who started TikToking at the Olympics and mm-hmm. have, you know, gained a massive following do you feel like that is I mean I think you can see it both ways you know it could be welcomed for like sharing a little bit more information especially you know because there can be a lot of judgment or pressure on athletes like you have to get a medal or the Olympics was nothing so I think it's nice to kind of have that behind the scenes thing but maybe on the other hand it's you know a big distraction when you should be focusing what are your thoughts on on that you know, I think everybody's. I think everybody's different, and certainly, in in my case, social media wasn't something I grew up with, and I think a lot of people, you know, you only need to take a look at our thirteen-year-old skateboarder from the Summer Olympics, Sky Brown. All right, I think so. Yeah, she, uh, like, social media will be her life. I think she's got an absolutely insane following, and she'll have grown up with that. Yeah. Her parents probably started the account, went all the way through with it. And social media is going to be a lot of younger people's lives. And there was a point in my career where, you know, people started coming on to the team that were a bit younger. And you notice that social media is a massive part of their life. They're always on phone, always chatting to people, talking away. Um, so I think for, for a lot of people these days who are a little bit younger than me, I think it's just a natural part and it's not a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um but for a few of the guys who are like, you know, I'm in a kind of a transitional era, like some people my age are all over it, whereas I'm not. Um, but the people older than me were all very much like, like Hannah, for instance. As so soon as we're going to games, media. it's gone. Yep. It's off the phone. I ain't interested. Mm-hmm. I've got a job to do. And that that's very much because like, we didn't really grow up with that. Like yeah. we didn't like I think I got Instagram in 2014 purely from you know I'm yeah, now a swimmer apparently yeah, so you're, I better get it yeah you know, you're kind I, of like, like person I, I better get it. yeah yeah I so think was, um so, yeah I I like it from the angle of it's kind of opening up the world of sport to more people who might not yeah. have seen it before and we're starting to see a change even within the world of swimming itself you know so when I was competing it was definitely just FINA and it was just Mm -hmm. our events you know a big conversation that's usually had within swimmers is 
are you going to actually go on and become a professional athlete or are you going to do something mm-hmm. that's going to make you a bit of money? <laughs> because there yeah. was never really the opportunity to make any money in swimming. It was never like golf or tennis or football or anything like nah. that. But in recent years, we've had the creation of the ISL, the International Swimming League, which is mm-hmm. giving swimmers the opportunity to do a little bit more with their careers. You know a lot more about it than I do. Um, mm. So for our listeners, can you just give like a general overview of what the ISL is and maybe why you decided to get involved? So the ISL is the International Swimming League. It started up, I think it was supposed to have a competition that started in Turin, if I remember rightly, in 2019 or 2018, I think. In the summer of 2018, they were supposed to have some sort of competition there that I think FINA ended up banning. If anybody went to this competition, you were banned from the the FINA uh, World Championships the following year. Um, so I think the competition ended up getting banned, but that was like that. That was meant to be the first iteration of a professional swimming competition yeah. where I, I, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't invited to go, so I don't really know much about it. Um, but then they came up with it, the idea of making it a league and how can it become a league format? And that kind of kicked off in 2019. So there was a whole bunch of different different competitions that were that were set out across the world. Um, and I think at the time there was eight different teams. And those eight teams could pick 14 men and 14 women to be on the roster. Or, and they could take who they want, pay them what they thought they were worth, to come along so you would get an appearance fee and there'd be prize money on top of it as well um, for the, for those um, and I think everybody's prize money was slightly different at the time or not prize money was the same but I think everybody's sort of value was determined on what they'd done and where they'd been and who they were and stuff like that I think at the time so the initial just being on the roster was different for everybody um, and that kind of kicked off in 2019 and the reason I got involved was I thought it was a good opportunity for change. Um, not that I'm against FINA, because you know FINA gave me a start, but there was there was elements of FINA that nobody really liked. Um, I think there was a, parts of it that felt that it wasn't quite just. You know, there was the it was almost the glorification of of doping cheats. And for me, I was like, you know, there's always going to be dopers in sport. You can't do anything about it, really. But this league is entirely against it and they're not welcome here. And it was just a bit of a, you know, if I get invited to come along and join a team, I want to be a part of something that, you know, who knows if it will take off. But see if it does. And, you know, it was a, something positive to say that, you know, we stood up against that. Yeah, and, that's and it also I got involved. The ISL also gives swimmers a really great chance to, to perform in sport in a team. Because yeah. in swimming, you don't really get to do that. But it's if I'm yeah. right in saying that ISL is all a point system until a team eventually yeah. wins. Sure. So the, the way the points work, I think there's a certain amount of points for, for winning an event. And it's it's not necessarily always about winning the event. It's all, it's more about like how many people can you place high enough that you get points. And you know, you're going to have some stronger events, some weaker events, but the team yeah. overall has generated this amount of points. And it was, it was, they kind of didn't show times either on the live stream. So for viewers, it wasn't to be about, oh, what time did they swim? It was more about like, oh, they got this many points and now, you know, London Roar's coming through and they're looking really good. Or, you know, Cali Condors are fighting back to try and get back at the 
you know, the lead. So it was trying to build a little bit of excitement. I'm not sure how much it picked up on the first season, to be honest. Um, I only went to one match in the first season, um, the match in London, and I swam for Team Iron. Um, and I swam for them in season two as well. Um, and, you know, I only went to the one match, so I never really got the team feel, the team spirit, because they'd all travelled the world together and then came to London and I just kind of showed up. And, you know, I was a part of the team. I felt welcome. But, you know, I didn't really feel part of it. But I think in season two, that really changed. So they changed the format from doing lots of travelling all around the world to being in one specific location. We all went to Budapest. So I was on the home team again. <laughs> so I was on the home team there. And, you know, there wasn't any spectators, but... Um, that that really felt like something special. That felt like a great experience. You know, we were bound to our rooms pretty much the whole time through COVID. Um, you know, I was there for five weeks and I basically just wow. read my basically just read my university stuff all day, every day and wrote papers and stuff. That's pretty much all I did for five weeks. Um, out with getting outside for my allocated hour. You were allocated <laughs> one hour. You yeah. could leave you could leave the hotel to go for a walk around the island. Um but you know that was that was a really special experience. I made some friends for life there, um, and that's the, the the whole team feel really started to kick off. Then, but the more time you spent with your team, the more you got bonded, and then you started to realise the the importance of the ISL. That that started yeah. to make sense because I think people from season one went into season two very much like, you know, it was fun. Um, we're all getting paid a wee bit of money. It's it's quite fun to turn up and you know do our bit for for the sport and stuff. But I think. After season two, we were like, yeah, that was actually really good. Like, can we yeah. do that again? Can we go and spend like five weeks together again at some point? Um, I mean, I hope it continues because I remember I was just in the gym before work. And obviously mm-hmm. you have all the TV screens and usually they show like different sports on it. And there was a swimming sure. pool. And first of all, sw- sports channels don't usually show swimming. So I was like, never on the telly. I was like, what's this? I was like, it's not world champs. There's no Commonwealth. There's no, I was like, what's going on? And there were all of these like lights and music and the atmosphere. And I was like, this Mm -hmm. is, I've never seen this before. And then I saw ISL. I was like, what the hell is this? So I did a tiny little bit of research. I was like, this sounds really, really cool. It sounds like a way to give, you know, swimmers a different avenue to take, you know, if they've, you know, done the Commonwealth, done the Olympics, done what they want to do. And then they're kind of like, you know what, let's go over here and, you know, have a little bit of fun, swim in a team and sure. yeah, make a little bit of money. I think it's a great thing. And what you said there was have a bit of fun is that really sums up the ISL to me is it was, it just felt fun. It felt fun to race. It felt fun to compete. It felt, you know, doing, doing this for so long, you travel a lot, you spend a lot of time away from home and sometimes yeah. it's not fun because you travel a lot, but you see a lot of hotels and a lot of pools. So yeah. you're kind of like, you don't get to see much of the places you've been. So sometimes you're a bit like, oh, like away again for another three weeks or it's two weeks here, five weeks there. It was So sometimes it kind of got you down, but, you know, being the part of the ISL, it was genuinely really, really fun. Um, and I think season three epitomised that because off the back of the Olympics, everybody was kind of just turning up to the first stage of the ISL wanting to race and wanting to swim well but very much like this is kind of a holiday everybody was going in with that type of attitude like we're going to go in when we need to race we are racing hard but outside of that it was very chilled out it was very chilled out like oh do you just want to go down to the beach or do you want to go to the bar for a pint or do you want to go and get a pizza because we're in Napoli 
So we'll go and get pizzas because they were literally like four euros and ready in a minute. Oh my God, that's like a swimmer's swimmers (laughs) dream, like carb heaven. You're like, give me pizza. I'll have a side of pasta and a garlic bread. Yes. Oh, it was, it was seriously good fun. And you know, we all raced really well. Everybody, I think across the board, across all the teams, all the teams did fantastically well, considering most of us were there kind of being switched off for the most part like do you just think trying having, to take a little bit of downtime after yeah. the Olympics do you think that having you know one that incredible team atmosphere and two a slight decrease in pressure to perform do you think that that contributed to people potentially even performing better yeah I think so I think having a little bit of pressure off you individually to perform um probably helped you perform um you know and it felt like you know you're not you're not in there doing it for yourself and I think that was the thing and I think all the teams are very probably the same but having been on London this past year the London Raw team that was an absolute honor to be on that team and you know having been on that team there it was a it was very much don't beat yourself up if you don't swim the way you want to just fight and scratch and bite every single point and see if you get one point for coming last it's still you did a point. everything you could just make sure that if it can be two points you get your fingers in there you get your finger on the wall just get there if you yeah. need to fight for one point that's all that matters just get your hands on the wall and I think you know that type of mentality there it was just like don't beat yourself up about it but you're going to go in there and scratch for everything like it was it just it was it's something different it's completely different it's not like oh I'm going in there and you know this is an Olympic semi-final and you know this is my one shot to try and get funding or this is my one shot to try and you know prove something to myself or prove something to my friends or family who or somebody who said I couldn't do it you know I don't don't know what other people other people's motivations are at the Olympics you know for me I was very much like I want to try and stay on funding I want to try and make an Olympic final because it's something I've never done before um but there it was very much just like this is for the team yeah this yeah is for it's the very team. I'm a very singular to do motivation to try and get myself up there for the team and and get as many points as I can if it's one point you know they know they can trust me that if I got one point that was the best I could do on that race and then the next race that comes up because it's very quick format like on day one of the of each ISL match it's the 200 breaststroke 20 minutes later you've got the 50 breaststroke and then 40 minutes later you've got 100 breaststroke in the relay so as a breaststroker and a breaststroke specialist you need to do all three in the one day and they're Mm -hmm. pretty tight together so it's quite hard work doing that um but it was very much like you need to get in for your race get out if you got one point cool get more in the next 10 step rule yeah after 10 steps forget about it in the warm down pool get in swim down next one and it's literally just like constant mm-hmm. constant constant and uh you know for someone that I only had to swim breaststroke events so I didn't have the busiest schedule and I had three events in the one session you know that's unheard of for a single oh, stroke yeah. specialist you'd probably have one event in a session a session and then maybe an off event if you decided you wanted to be busy but for some people like Duncan this year you know he was swimming 400 free 200 free 200 IM 400 IM like and it was just like these it's a two-day meet you, you have to do all these events back to back at some yeah. point you know there's I think there was a, a, a 400 a 400 free 200 I, 200 IM double 
with a hundred flies somewhere at the end of the session or something like that. It's just like that's absolutely filthy quadruples. Mm -hmm. It's not even like swimming doubles, it's quadruple racing. And you need to swim down in between, you need to refuel in between, you need to then switch back on in between. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's it's quite fast and furious and that adds to the real enjoyment for the spectators, but it also adds to our enjoyment as athletes as well because it's it's you can't switch off and it's just two hours get in and all of a sudden you're like wow that's done two hours and it's 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 done like that was so quick and uh just really exciting stuff yeah I think it sounds a hundred percent like you know a way for you to really reconnect and enjoy the sport Mm. that you love while taking off you know a little bit of the pressure so thank you so much for sharing you know all of this with us (laughs) you know your journey it's definitely you know, for me listening to it as a former swimmer, you know, your, your journey into becoming an Olympic athlete and everything is very different to, you know, the traditional route, you know, especially now in, in these days going on and becoming one yeah. of the first people to kind of get involved with the ISL in the first seasons and stuff. So no, I find it super interesting. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Not a problem. Thank you very much. Anything. <laughs> So for all of my listeners, if you enjoyed listening, then please do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus, and I'll catch you guys next week.